Previously on Making of a Giant Killer, the prophet Samuel came to Bethlehem, searching for the next king of Israel. He invited Jesse and his sons to a ceremony. There, Samuel looked at each of Jesse's sons, thinking God had chosen one of them to be king. But one son was missing. He was tending sheep on a hill. When Samuel saw him, God said, this is the one. The boy's name was David. This week, an epic battle on making of a giant killer. Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you could be with us in church. I also want to welcome those of you watching online. Uh, we consider you to be a part of our congregation as well, wherever you might be around the country and world. Always glad to have you join us as well. And I'm so glad you're here today, whether in present, here in, in person or online, because we're looking at one of the most famous stories in the Bible where David faces the Philistine giant Goliath. And even his name is intimidating. In verse 4, it says, Goliath from Gath came out to fight. He was over nine feet tall. I mean, who names their kid Goliath? Goliath from Gath. You know, kind of a, just an intimidating name. He must have been a 12-pounder at birth, just a big old honking kid. But what I love about this story is that I think each and every one of us will face giants in our lives. And some of these giants are so big that we face and so intimidating that they seem unbeatable. What we're going to find out today is this, that one little stone and the power of God is stronger than any giant you or I will ever face. David's giant was Goliath, but I'm wondering today, who or what is your giant? Who or what in your life threatens you or stands in your way from moving forward. At some point, you and I have to face our giant if we hope to defeat it. If you've, ever been, if you've been around our church for any length of time, you've heard me tell this story. When I was 10 or 12 years old, my dad was the pastor of a church in Illinois, and we were part of a church softball league. It was a men's league, but I showed up with my dad every game hoping that someday I'd get, get a chance to play. Our coach was Andy Graparis. Andy was a, a big, jolly Greek guy, and Andy would say, now, Bobby, someday... Someday we might need you to play. And my dad was the picture. So, well, we always got there early to warm up, and I'd watch and count how many guys would come to each game because if only nine guys would show up, I would be number 10, and maybe I'd get a chance to play. So every week I'd come to the game, I'd count. There'd always be more guys than, than we needed, so I never got to play. And it was kind of ridiculous because I was just a little kid. This was a men's league, but I wanted to play, and I thought I could play. Remember it was late in the season, and we were actually contending for a championship in this league. And as always, I was there counting and looking at the parking lot. Six, seven, eight guys showed up. Game time was five minutes away. Another guy showed, and, and Andy had his eye on the parking lot looking for number 10. But he never showed. Finally, he called everybody over to our bench, and he began reading the batting order. Earl Peterson leading off, playing shortstop. Mark Fredrickson batting second, playing left field. He went through the list on his clipboard, and then he said these words I'll never forget, and batting 10th, playing right field, little Bobby Merritt. I couldn't believe it. 
Like, it's unbelievable. Now, everybody knows, everybody knows that your weakest player bats 10th and plays right field. But I didn't care. I was in the game. First two innings, we were three up and three up. But the third inning, we had two men on base, one out, big game, and I was up to bat. Their pitcher, Goliath, who I think was Lutheran, and you got to want to beat Lutherans all the time. He looked at me, little kid, and he, he did this. He waved the outfield in. Come on in. He waved the infield in. And then he took about 10 paces toward me because he thought I couldn't hit. One of our guys from our bench said this. He said, Bob, make him pitch to you, which means try to take a walk so you don't have to swing at the ball and maybe strike out. I looked at that guy on our bench and I wanted to say, why don't you take a walk? I've been sitting on that bench all my life. Why don't you take a walk? Ball came in, this is the honest truth. Ball came in, first pitch. I ripped it past the pitcher. He's only eight feet from me. But past the pitcher, through the hole, up past uh, second base into center field. I drove in our first run. Our bench erupted. I stood on first base. Andy Gapares came running out picked me up, twirled me around, kissed me on the forehead, and put me back on the base. <laughs> Since that day, I've had to face other giants, difficult people, tough classes, challenges at work that seem too big to overcome. For some people, it's a giant debt they face, or a disability, or a son or daughter who's off the rails and going down a dangerous path. For some, it's just loneliness. I mean, giants come in all different forms, and when faced with a giant, really, there's only two options. Either ignore the giant, in, in which case they never go away, or try to face them. Try to defeat them and overcome them. Why don't you see what, what David did as a young kid, David in 1 Samuel. Philistine army had this champion, Goliath. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet. He wore a coat of armor that weighed 125 pounds. A bronze javelin was slung across his back. His spear was like a weaver's rod. And its iron point weighed 15 pounds. I mean, this guy was a massive human being with about 150 pounds of gear, which we're going to see in a minute. What really became a disadvantage to a much younger, quicker, faster David. And Goliath stood and he shouted to the Israelites, choose a man. Have him come down to me. If he's able to kill me, we'll become your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll become our slaves. Goliath says, I defy the armies of Israel. Send a man who will fight. When King Saul and all the Israelites heard this, they were terrified. <laughs> they were shaken. I mean, that's no surprise. That's what giants do to us. They scare us. And when we're scared, what do we usually do? Instead of facing our giant, we usually try to avoid it. We try to run from that thing that scares us. In fact, when the Israelites saw Goliath, they all ran. They all ran in fear. Now, can I state the obvious here? You know, as long as you run from your giant, you have no chance of defeating it. None at all. As long as you ignore or run from a giant financial problem, 
It's not going to go away. Run from a giant marriage problem, and you won't overcome it. Ignore a giant behavior trend in your children, and it'll only get worse. Run from a weight problem, anger problem, some sort of character problem in you, and that giant is going to persist. And every day, that giant is permitted to demoralize you. A piece of your courage dies. The only chance to defeat a giant is to identify it, face it, and move toward it. But how do you do that? You know, three of David's older brothers are on the battlefront, and their father, Jesse, tells David to bring some food to their brothers and be an encouragement to them. And so David arrives on the battlefront, and he sees this giant just taunting the army of Israel. Nobody's willing to go out and fight this guy. And I love what David says in verse 26. David arrives there, and he asks some men hanging around. He says, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine, and I love this language, and removes this disgrace from Israel? He says, who is this pagan? Who is this guy, this Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And here we have the first step in defeating any giant that you will ever face. And the first step is this. You always compare the size of the giant with the size and power of God. Always compare the size of your problem, the size of your giant, with the size and power of God. And I love that instead of being afraid, David just gets mad. And sometimes, gang, you gotta get mad at whatever giant is threatening your life. David's like, who is this guy? Who is this blight, this pagan, this jerk, if you will, who's defying? And why doesn't somebody stand up and take him out? I love that. Sometimes you gotta get mad at your giant. David was the only one who had an accurate assessment of Goliath, and his assessment was that Goliath was absolutely nothing compared to God. He's so confident in God's power that down in verse seven, he goes out and he stands before this giant Goliath, and he said to this Goliath, he says, hey man, you're going down. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. I mean, what if you all and I all and I prayed a prayer like that when we face a giant? What if we prayed, man, the battle is the Lord, and God, with your power, I'm going to fight this and defeat it. I mean, too many people, I think, just give up. They accept the situation in their life, and and. What if you decided to fight it and starting with a prayer or something like, God, with your power, I'm gonna face this giant, I'm gonna defeat it. Because I'm telling you, God is bigger than any giant you have and it can be defeated if you decide to face it with God's power. When I was nine years old, there was a kid on my paper route who every day called me names, pushed me around, and there wasn't anything I could do to stop it. I needed a power greater than myself to help me out. So one day I brought my older brother, John, to this kid's house to help me deal with my problem. And John is older than me, taller than me, and he was hiding in the bushes. We had this all planned out. Well, I went up and knocked on this kid's house. 
So mom came to the door and I said, is Tom home? She said, just a minute. Tom opened the door, he stepped outside, and this wasn't very nice, but I called him a big fat sissy and then I ran. <laughs> like I was a big fat sissy. He ran after me and just as about he was about to tackle me, my brother stepped out, grabbed him by the shirt, and put the fear of God in this kid. He said, don't ever mess with my brother again. And he didn't. <laughs> Sometimes I'm telling you, you need a power greater than yourself. And God will provide it. He will provide it if you ask him. Always, always compare the size of your giant with the size and power of God. Second thing David did is this. He gained courage to face big giants from de defeating smaller giants along the way in his life. I mean, the courage to face and fight giants doesn't happen overnight. You don't automatically wake up one day and be courageous. You gain courage by confronting and defeating a number of smaller giants along the way. I mean, the base hit I got that day in softball and church league uh, was no fluke. I started hitting rocks with plastic bats at age five. By age nine, I was playing baseball every day after school with my friends. So that day in church softball, I could hit that ball with my eyes closed. I mean, it was not a problem. When my daughter was eight years old, I took her out in our backyard and I said, Meg, we're gonna learn how to hit a ball. And so we just stood out there and the first few were just brutal. I mean, not even close, I didn't even know how to hold a bat, so I you know, helped her out. I pitched dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens, not all on the same day, you know, spread out. Uh, until she could hit. So that when she came up to bat for the first time in front of a bunch of nasty junior high boys in gym class, she could fire a line drive back at the pitcher and take his head off. <laughs> I mean, you prepare a kid to face those nasty giants in junior high by beating smaller ones in the backyard when they're eight years old. That's what you do. David stepped up and said, I'll fight the giant. King Saul said, you can't go out and fight him. You're only a boy. Look what David says to this. He says, look, when a lion or bear came to steal a sheep from my father's flock, I went after it. I struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it probably with a club. I've done this to both lions and bears. I will do it to this puny little Philistine. In other words, I've been swinging a bat since I was five. David got the courage to fight the big giants by defeating smaller ones every day at school, every day at work, every day out in the pasture tending sheep. I like what author John Maxwell says about this. He says, what matters most in life is what you do day by day. Day by day, over the long haul. Overcoming smaller giants so that down the road you can face the bigger ones that come your way. Third thing David does is this. He learned that when he, when he stepped up, God showed up. David says, I'll fight this giant, but I love verse 37. But the Lord, he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and bear will deliver me from this Philistine. David did not say, I by my own power 
I, by my own self-sufficiency and wisdom and strength, am going to defeat the lion and bear. He said, the Lord who delivered me from the lion and bear will also deliver me from this giant. David believed that God could deliver him from any challenge. That if he stepped up, God would show up. Psalm 119 says the same thing. God's faithfulness continues to all generations. Who's all generations? That's us. God's faithfulness and power and strength continues to all generations. But I need to tell you something. God is faithful. And you can believe that down to your toes. You can sing about it and repeat it a thousand times. But you're only going to experience it when you step up. you got to step up. In order for God to show up, lions and bears come out against us all the time. Maybe it's a difficult project at work and it seems impossible, but you're going to say, God, with your help, with your help, I'm going to defeat that bear. Because when you step up, God will show up. Maybe one of your kids is going in the wrong direction and you're tempted to ignore that. And a lot of people do. They just ignore it and hope for the best. But not you. You're going to say, God, with your help, I'm going after that bear. We're going to put a plan into place. Because when you step up, I'm telling you, God will show up. Maybe your marriage is on the edge. And you could let it slide. And a lot of people do. And it just goes down. But you're going to do, you're gonna, what you're going to say is, God, with your help, we're going to fix this thing. We're going to go after it. We're going to go to counseling. Because I'm telling you, gang, when you step up, and do something about it, and put forth effort, God will show up. The truth is, giants come in the form of everyday problems, everyday people in our lives, and we have a choice to either ignore them or go after them. I face a bear every Monday morning when I come to work. It's an empty computer screen. You know, I would love it if just once... I would open up my computer and God would have the message written all for me on Monday. I could just kick back, enjoy the day, have hallway conversations and just kind of, you know, fiddle around. I would love it if God would just once do it. He never has. The words have never just mysteriously appeared on my computer screen. On Monday morning, I have to go to my office, sit down in my chair, pull out the keyboard, think through every word, every statement, then do the same thing the next day for six or seven hours, the day after that, for a total of about 30 hours every week, but then something amazing happens. God shows up, and the words somehow come alive. It's not me. The Lord who delivers me from lions and bears will deliver me from this giant, because when you step up, God, God will show up. Fourth thing, get ready for criticism. It's going to come your way. David's about to do the most courageous, most noble act in fighting this giant, but then he just gets hammered by criticism from his own family, his own brother. Have you ever tried to do something courageous and get criticized for it? Whenever you decide to fight a giant, you will often get criticized, even by your own family. You know, David comes down to the battlefront with some supplies from his brothers. He sees 
He sees Goliath taunting Israel's army, and he says to some of the men, he says, who's this Philistine? You know, why is he being permitted to do this? And I want you to see what happens in verse 28. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the other men, he burned with anger at David and asked, why have you come down here and with whom did you leave? Notice the little jab here. With whom did you leave those few sheep? Little job that you have, menial job. Eliab says to David, I know how conceited you are. I know how wicked your heart is that you came down only to watch the bad. Now, these are all cheap shots. None of it's true. So why does Eliab treat David so badly? I think because Eliab is jealous. If you remember, David got chosen to be the next king of Israel. And Eliab's never gotten over that. And this is where a lot of unfair criticism comes, I think, in, in families today. It comes from jealousy. You know, he's the favored one. She's the prettier one. He's always been mom or dad's favorite. I resent that, always have. You know, David's done nothing wrong. But Eliab attacks him unfairly. And it happens in families today. But it's not just his family, it's his friends who criticize him. King Saul said to David, you can't fight this guy, you're only a kid. He's been a fighting machine from his youth. He gets criticized from his enemy. Goliath saw that David was just a boy, and he de despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And Goliath cursed David. I mean, he gets it from all sides. But here's what I have noticed, friends. The minute you decide to do something courageous and noble, you're going to get criticized. It should be the opposite. But when you decide to fight a giant, you can expect criticism from family members, friends, and even enemies. The question is, how should you handle this? Verse 29, look what David does. He says, what have I done? To Eliab, he says, what have I done? Can't I even speak? He then turned away, love that, to somebody else and brought up the same matter. He does two things. David does two things. He says, Eliab, what have I done? In other words, he evaluates the criticism because maybe there's some truth to it. Maybe my behavior isn't quite right, and so I'm going to ask the question again. What have I done? I'm going to think about this criticism. Is it true? Because some, some criticism is helpful. The second thing he does is he turns to somebody else, and he brings up the same subject. He gets a second opinion. He, received, he receives criticism, and then he turns to somebody else. He says, is this true about me? And he finds out that it's not true. And I love this. He simply moves on. He doesn't allow unfair criticism to have much power in his life. He just moves on. He just says, yeah, well, tough. You know, I, I hear you, but it's just not true. I mean, there are some people in your life and mine, sometimes even family members or colleagues, who simply are not for you. For whatever reason. Maybe they're jealous. Maybe something else is going on. They're just not for you. And instead of lifting you up and encouraging you, they kind of chip away at you. 
They erode your confidence. They make you feel badly about yourself. Can I just say something? If you, if somebody habitually makes you feel badly about yourself, you need to limit your exposure to that person and not allow their criticism to stop you from doing what's courageous and noble. Now, if you're married to that person, you know, that's an issue. And maybe they, they erode your confidence and chip away at you. You need to lean in on that. Both of you do. And get some help. But I just, I just don't allow people with a caustic, critical nature to have much access to me anymore. It's just not worth it. Now, if it's a trusted friend, someone has my best interest, you know, and, and they've got a criticism, obviously, come and I want to I hear that. But people who are naturally critical, I'm done. It's not worth it, okay? You ready for criticism? Finally thing, final thing David does, this is so key. He used his disadvantage as an advantage. David's ready to go out and fight this giant. He's at a huge disadvantage. He's just a kid. He's going up an experienced, against an experienced fighter. He's twice his age. Everybody thinks this is a huge disadvantage. But David uses this, uses this, this as an advantage. Goliath is in full battle gear. Remember this, carrying 150 pounds of armor. And what Goliath wants is hand-to-hand -hand combat. In fact, Goliath says this to David, come to me. Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air. I'm going to slice and dice you. Goliath wants a close encounter, but David is smarter than that. He takes his sling that he has used every day of his life just to chuck at gophers and blackbirds and kind of just practicing every day out in the pasture. And to give you an idea what a sling looks like, we have one on the, on the side screen to show you, but I brought one with me today. Actually, we, we just made it a couple days ago. But I used to have a sling when I was a kid. I don't know where I got it. My dad, I don't know. We just grew up with slings. So it's been like 40 years since I've used this, used something like this. And I wanted to use golf balls, but they just gave me marshmallows. <laughs> and you understand, marshmallows are really light. And so they don't fly real well. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still aim for the, for the aisle here, so in case, you know, some of you might take one in the chin. But it, now David would, would give several revolutions. I'm just going to give one. Did that come down? Because in rehearsal, it got stuck up in the ceiling. But it, that's, that's how it works. And it's really kind of cool, actually. And again, if you had a golf ball, you, you could do some damage. Oh, see, that was a line drive. Sorry about that. You, you, can, you can pick that up and eat it if you want. But all that to say, the sling was an actual weapon. Goliath didn't have a sling. Remember, he had a spear and javelin, sword. He wanted to combat. David had this sling, and a skilled slinger, we, we researched this, could kill a target at a distance of 200 yards. And so David says to Goliath, he says, look, you come against me with sword and spear. Man, you're toast. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And a little sling that you didn't count on. And with that, David put a round stone in his pouch and he slings it faster and faster. He releases that stone toward Goliath. He couldn't defend himself. It drills him right between the eyes. 
Goliath never expected that. Author Bill McKee said, the last thought Goliath had was nothing like this ever entered my mind. (laughs) And down he went. I wonder, what is your biggest disadvantage? Think about it. We all have them. What is your biggest disadvantage? And could it be that with God's help, that could become your greatest advantage? A couple of my very good friends both went through divorce, and it was devastating. They wouldn't wish it on anybody. But today they're remarried. They are two of the best divorce care leaders I have ever seen, helping other people heal and find hope. God took a huge disadvantage in their life and became an advantage. You know, most of us take reading for granted, right? Most of us can read. But dyslexics can't read real well. Their classmates often think they're dumb. Parents often think they're lazy. Huge disadvantage. But one-third of all successful entrepreneurs are dyslexic including the famous broker, Charles Schwab, Gary Cohen, CEO of Goldman Sachs, David Boyce, the world's most successful trial lawyer. How did they do that? How did they overcome? How did they get through school, law school? They overcompensated. They used their disadvantage to learn to listen better, to memorize better, and to outwork all of their peers. I want to have you hear the story of John. John is one of our Eagle Brook members here. John used a huge disadvantage in his life and turned it into one of his greatest advantages. Watch this and we'll close. Every morning the alarm goes off at 5.05 in the morning. My wife and I get up. Uh, start getting ready for the day. We uh, wake the kids up at about 5.15, get them dressed, make some lunches for them, and uh, we're out the door by 5.30 every day, and my wife drives me to work. And then I catch the bus uh, to get home. My name is John Euler. I'm 39 years old, and ever since birth, I've been legally blind in both of my eyes and nerve deaf in my left ear. When my mom was pregnant with me, A parasite had settled in my eyes and ears and took about 90% of my vision away. And now I'm left with nothing but peripheral vision to see everything with. There's no treatment for this right now. There's no laser surgery, no contact lenses, no glasses, nothing that will give me any relief from this. Uh, Growing up, I did have a lot of struggles. Uh, It was really hard on me. You know, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be normal. I had a lot of resentment because I didn't understand